very welcome to this uh, lecture. It's our colleague Peter S. Williams, who lives in the uh, United Kingdom at present inside the European Union. In a couple of weeks, uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you'll come out of the Union to be with us, maybe, in Norway. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Inter very interesting times for you. Yeah. Uh, you're a philosopher by trade. Right. You've written now how many books? Oh, uh, eight or nine or ten or eleven, depending how you count them. Kind yes. Of, yeah. Okay, we just count them in numbers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, right. uh, yeah. Solo authored or, uh, or authored with someone else or yeah. edited or yeah. Yes. Gets a bit tricky. So you've written uh, quite a few books. Uh, one, Introduction to Philosophy, uh, which was interesting for those of you who are interested in, in, in philosophy as a discipline and thinking Christianly about doing philosophy. Uh, a very good introductory book with even video material on your website for that one. Uh, so, so you're going to teach our, we, we teach philosophy here now for, for the uh, Examen Philosophicum group. Are you going to teach them and give them some introduction to basic logics tomorrow uh, when we have this, this other program running for us? Um, you've written a lot of books, and, and kind of the specialty is on the new atheism and new atheists. And uh, you're presently writing a new book, um, a response book to Richard Dawkins' youth version of his God Delusion, which is going to be very, very interesting indeed. Now, um, the, the, the topic for, for Pete's lecture is uh, apologetics in three dimension. Three dimensions, uh, the, where the point is that how do we understand apologetics, how, we do, how do we define apologetics? Is it just answering questions? Is it just giving arguments for the Christian faith? Well, that has to be included in Christian apologetics, defending the faith. Um, but he offers a bigger definition, which ties in with his philosophy background. You'll see that. Uh, and which, which he links to the biblical text, you can see, see it reflected there, and which opens up a, a, a wider approach to thinking about apologetics, which I think is very helpful. So, um, you, you have the handouts, I'm sorry, the, the stapling was in the wrong corner, but you have all his, all his slides there, uh, so you can consult it. Um, and uh, please, Feel free to, to, to tell if uh, you have any questions, anything that's not clear, so we can stop and explain, even either in Norwegian or we can explain it in English for you. Okay? Pete? Great. Thank you very much. I'm uh, excited to, to be here. I always have a fun time with the students here when I come over uh, to teach once or twice a year. And uh, I teach on the study tour uh, that happens in the UK uh, once a year as well. Um, so nice to be with you, and I'm excited to share some of this material. And as uh, Bjorn says, do uh, ask questions, uh, particularly if I slip into using any uh, English language terms uh, that you don't recognise. Uh, I'll try and do my best, but it's up to me to make it clear to you. That's you know, my job, so help me uh, to do that. Um, we will break it up into, into chunks, into parts. So I'm not just going to lecture through the whole thing. We'll do it in, in little chunks and stop occasionally to sort of ask if you have any questions about that, that section. 
So I'm thinking about uh, apologetics in 3D, and uh, I'm also going to put in the angle of thinking about discipleship uh, and apologetics uh, in three dimensions. And here is part one. So the original uh, Christians didn't call themselves Christians. That was a, a, a name for them invented by non-Christians, if you see what I mean. Uh, they uh, described themselves, and you can find this in uh, several places in the book of Acts, as followers of the way. Um, the heart of the Christian way, way of living, is a, a Christ-centred relationship with God that enables a spiritual development through the process of what Paul calls putting on Christ. Uh, so Paul Gooch here explains that Christians embrace and inhabit a way of life. Uh, and if you want uh, a definition of what I'm meaning by talking about spirituality uh, in this talk, that's a good way of thinking about it. A spirituality is a way of life. Christians embrace and inhabit a way of life within a set of divine and human relationships that are characterised by faith and hope and, and love. So he's talking about uh, virtues, character virtues. And I would say that in both discipleship and apologetics, what we want to do is to try and help people to, to adopt, to move into and to move deeper into the way of life that is to be found in Christ. We want to help people move into and move deeper into the way of life that's found in Christ. And we want to help people do that with their whole being. So this will include people's intellect, but it will include more than just their intellect. So British theologian Alastair McGrath here, a uh, very good recent book of his called Mere Discipleship, which I recommend. He says, Christian discipleship is about a conscious and committed decision to be followers of Jesus Christ in every way possible, including the way we think, love, and act. And you might have started to notice that three concepts keep coming up. So here we have think, love, and act. We had... Um, Faith, Hope and Love. McGrath says uh, in another book of his, Passionate Intellect, he says we can't allow Christ to, to reign in our hearts if he doesn't also guide our thinking. And he goes on to say that we're, in, we're, we're called to demonstrate and to embody the truth and beauty and goodness of faith. So there we have another three concepts that that sort of traditionally go together, truth and goodness and beauty, faith, hope and love. So here's how I would uh, define apologetics. I'd say apologetics is about enabling people to be persuaded that Christian, uh, that is Christ-centred spirituality, is a beautiful, good and reasonable commitment to make. 
enabling people to be persuaded that a Christ-centered spirituality is a beautiful, good, and reasonable commitment, a reasonable choice to make. Now, the term apologetics, which is terrible uh, in English because we now would associate the word ap apology with saying sorry about something. <laughs> Apologizing uh, means saying sorry, whereas uh, back in ancient Greek days, uh, the, t the Greek term that we've sort of transliterated as apology is the Greek word apologia, and it was a term that would be used, for example, of what your lawyer would do for you in court. Your defence attorney would get up and give a defence speech in court, um, and that's called your apologia. Uh, literally, it means a word back, and it's a term famously used in uh, 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter uh, encourages Christians to always be prepared to give an answer, an apologia, to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Someone else who I've taken a lot of inspiration from in this field, who gives a sort of broader definition of apologetics than it just being about arguing about things is Francis Schaeffer uh, who said that the purpose of apologetics is not just to win an argument or a discussion but that the people with whom we're in contact may become Christians and then live under the lordship of Christ in the whole spectrum of life so th this, this idea of a sort of holistic, broad, whole-person-centred approach. I would say we need to stop thinking, as some sections of the church have come to think, of there being sort of, there's evangelism, and then there's apologetics. And it's like, well, evangelism is, is what the evangelists do, and then the nerdy people can do apologetics. <laughs> Doug Grothaus says that this artificial separation of evangelism from apologetics has got to end. Uh, the Apostle Paul serves as a model for us in that he both proclaimed and defended the gospel. Um, you see this repeatedly in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is really a sort of early church guide to doing apologetics to spreading the gospel in the Christian way. Jesus also rationally defended his views as well as proclaiming them. And apologetics is both rational and relational. I don't think apologetics is just something uh, for the, the sort of uh, the Vulcans amongst us who are dedicated to logic, you know, and that's it. Um, logic is great, but there is more to life than logic. Uh, so I, I love this, this uh, quote from Nicola Veal. Uh, I think this explains it well. She says, people in relationships need to inquire and learn and build on what they know of each other. Uh, relationships that are characterised by th thoughtlessness are going nowhere and we cannot trust others without testing their trustworthiness. 
We should build relationships in a rational way. And we should use rationality in a relational way. The Christian faith is about a relationship with God, and like any other relationship, this requires thought. Um, would you prefer to have a thoughtful boyfriend stroke girlfriend, or a thoughtless one? Uh, I know which uh, I would prefer. So let's pause uh, there and uh, see if you have any reflections or questions you'd like to ask about uh, any of those concepts or that sort of general uh, approach that we're steering towards. Jag ser att när han definierar apologetiken så prövar den göra det bredast möjliga koppla på relationsaspekter och sånt. Och det filosofiska det sande goda skönne sånt som filosofen i Aten att de tre transcendentala verkligheterna sånt. Ja. Uh, I find it interesting that you would say apologetics and evangelism are, they should be the same. I think the uh, problem that people have is they think evangelism is a very spiritual act, mm. while apologetic is, you know, something you, you learn, like you're studying mm. school or something. Mm. So. The spirit controls evangelism while the head controls apologetics. Mm, mm. You know, so it might be very difficult to combine both for yeah. Yeah, if people don't have proper understanding. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that that is a widespread kind of perception. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the, the underlying assumption there is that there is a divide between, uh, between reason and things that you learn, and things that are spiritual. Uh, and I would say that that idea that there is such a divide is unbiblical. Um, even going back into the, the Old Testament, you see the repeated uh, teaching from, from Moses on down to you know, teach your children about the law, uh, learn wisdom from the Lord. Uh, what is the whole, you know, the whole book of Proverbs is about, you know, pay attention to me, my son, so that I can pass on this wisdom to you that you should learn, <laughs> okay? Uh, or, or in the New Testament, um, Paul, uh, talking about spiritual warfare, uh, says that our weapons are not weapons of this world. And you're thinking, right, yeah, preach it, brother, our weapons are going to be like prayer, isn't it? Be prayer. In, into the, you know, yeah. And then he, he says, our weapons are not of this world, rather we, we, we take every thought captive and we tear down strongholds, strongholds of, of ways of thinking that are unchristian, <laughs> um, uh, to take these thoughts captive. Um, so he's, he's talking about using, uh, he says, we, you know, we use our arguments and re reason, I can't remember the, the exact or what the translation would, would uh, 
would be in, in every version, but um, I'll have it in another PowerPoint. I could look it up for you. But uh, yeah, he, he, he talks very much about you know, spiritual warfare, and it's about using reasons to take thoughts captive and tear down these strongholds that are strongholds of, of ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so and there is no biblical divide between those two things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the same time, mm-hmm. as Paul is also talking about spiritual powers, but the spiritual struggle still need to include reflection and argument and the, the ideologies. They are very often linked mm. to spiritual powers, right? People are blinded by ideologies so that you can't see the gospel. So our job is both praying, <laughs> right? Relationship with God and, and spiritual discipline needs to be there, but not isolated from right. thinking who is God? Yeah. You know. Who is this person? Why is he resistant to the gospel? Yeah. How can I understand it? So yeah. Integrated, so not separated. Mm. If you look at the traditional spiritual disciplines, they will, of course, include spiritual discipline of, of prayer, mm-hmm. um, meditation on, on, on scripture and so on, yeah. uh, but also study. Yeah. Uh, t- to meditate upon scripture means, you know, not Eastern meditation, empty your mind, but, f- but fill your mind and, mm-hmm. and think about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I, I think this touches on also a kind of a very modern version of Christianity, uh, which uh, which is, well, uh, the, the spiritual thing is feeling God's presence. Mm. While when you're thinking, you're, you're on a different level. And I think these need to be integrated, right? Mm. Sometimes our feelings might not be of God, but it might, might be the lack of coffee or stomach trouble. Or, mm. yeah. Right? So, so, well, you know, God can touch us directly and mm. give both mm. emotions and ideas. He's mm. able to do that. Yeah. But we shouldn't Disconnect them. Yeah. Keep so them Paul together. says, uh, test. We're talking everything. about the test of the spirits. Yeah. Test everything. Test all the. Yeah. But hold on to the good. Yeah. So. So, so the point is, is uh, the critical reflection, having a thought, is also included in spirit spirituality. Mm. When we pray, we need to know who God is, who we're praying to. Right. You need to be informed by reality and the truth of the mm. Bible and so on. Uh, of course, God is bigger than us, and he knows our misunderstandings and failures, but a kind of non-reflecting mm. uh, prayer relationship with God, we don't care to think about him, just feel him. Mm. It, we, it, we know that will also not be good mm. in a relationship. Uh, like, you're beautiful, just shut up. <laughs> yeah. Say that to your wife or your husband. Yes. You, you say it best when you say nothing at all, that's a famous song. Yeah. No talking, just touching and kissing, right? <laughs> In the long run, it's not going to work. Right? You need to understand God. You need to understand the world in yourself, right? Mm. That's, that's making the relationship and, and, and that, that, uh, more exciting and deeper and, and mm. more real, mm. right? Emotion is not spiritual while thinking is unspiritual, mm. right? These things belong together. In, in modern psychology, that, that these have been united. Mm. Not, it's not like a Freudian idea about emotions is kind of separate yeah, thing. Yeah. So in Christianity, these are connected. You need connected reality and your mm. emotions, mm. hopefully, will, will follow on in some way. Mm. But they are, yeah. Should we move yeah. on to the next part? Indeed. And I will, we, yeah. I will re- uh, reconnect this one.
Mm -hmm. Sorry for the, the camera stuff, but we, we want to, to make this course available just uh, online as well, so we, we record some, some of the material for future use. So in part two, let me try and draw these threads together and try and show how these concepts connect up and relate to one another um, so that there isn't a divide uh, between, uh, say, the thoughtfulness on the one hand and uh, emotionality uh, on the other. So we've got this uh, general definition about uh, persuading uh, that spirituality, Christian spirituality, is beautiful, good, and reasonable. To unpack that a little bit more formally, if we said apologetics is the art of persuasively advocating a Christian spirituality, and we do that through the responsible use of rhetoric, and I'll unpack that in a moment, as being objectively beautiful, good, and true, or reasonable. And we'll, we need to look at three concepts in each of these three bullet points, as it were, hence my 3D thing. Uh, so spirituality, I'll unpack as having three elements. Rhetoric has three classical elements. And then we have beautiful, good, and, and truth, rationality, three uh, elements. And they all kind of link up, match up with one another. So a spirituality, a way of life, uh, aims to be a, a virtuous, a, a way of uh, life that, that's kind of good, that uh, integrates you as a person, brings more wholeness to you as a person. Uh, it's about how you relate to everything, to yourself, the world around you, other people, whatever you think ultimate reality may be. And we do that through these three elements of our, of our kind of our worldview, our assumptions and beliefs about reality, our, our attitudes towards what we think is true and false about reality, our, our attitudes, our commitments, our choices. And that combination of attitudes and, at, uh, and assumptions leads us to behave, to act in certain ways. So this combination of assumptions and attitudes and actions, they integrate together, they integrate uh, a person uh, on that particular way of life. And I think any spirituality, be it Christian or Buddhist or Muslim or uh, whatever, atheist, secular humanist, whatever you like, has these elements, but people will put different things into those categories. Some of those will overlap between different spiritualities, but there will be differences, um, but they'll have these three elements. So Richard Dawkins has beliefs and assumptions about reality, and he has certain attitudes towards the world, uh, and that combination leads him to do things like write books called Outgrowing God for young people and so on. Another way of thinking about this with the three terms all beginning with the same letter uh, is that spirituality is the combination of your head and your heart and your hands. Um, in English, people get tempted when they think we talk about heart, again, just to think in terms of emotionality. And what I want that to be there, I want to think of it as broader than that, 
more towards the sort of broad biblical way of talking about heart and to include in this this idea of, of your attitude to things, your choice of things, your commitment to things. So if we take this uh, back to Jesus, of course, uh, when he uh, was answering a question about, you know, teacher, what's the, the greatest commandment? And he said it's about when it starts with loving the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. Referencing back uh, uh, to uh, Deuteronomy 6.5, he is basically saying the same thing. So I was by no means the first to get here. Um, Christian spirituality starts with loving God with all of yourself, which you can divide into these categories, and out of that, loving your neighbour and doing all of that in Christ. So it becomes a sort of self-reinforcing feedback uh, loop uh, in your life, as any spirituality in anyone's life does. Now, once you, you have this kind of schema, this, this, this threes, this idea of spirituality in mind, you start seeing it cropping up all over the place because I think this just is an accurate reflection of how God has built us as spiritual beings to function. So here is uh, Acts 2.37. This is the Apostle Peter. He's just given the first um, apologetics lecturer, the first uh, persuasive evangelistic talk uh, after Pentecost. And uh, it says, uh, when the people heard this, the message he was giving about the truth claims about Jesus and the resurrection, and we're all eyewitnesses of this and so on. They were cut to the heart. They had uh, an, uh, an attitude response uh, that was one of a, a positive attitude response in this case. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So we, we've got some information, we've got an, uh, an attitudinal kind of response to that, which leads us to wanting to do the right thing in response to that. Head, heart, hands. Or uh, Colossians 3, 15 to 17, where Paul says, uh, let the, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the, the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there he's, again, Paul linking up head, heart, hands. They have, they have to work together in the Christian life. Or if we go back to 1 Peter 3.15, of course, uh, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Do this. This is all about actions that you've got to take. But he's also talking about your heart. He says the reason for the hope that you have. Do it with gentleness and respect. He's talking about our attitude towards life and other people. Uh, but also you've got to be prepared to apologia and give the reason for these things. Uh, why are you behaving in this way? Why are you holding on to hope even though you're being persecuted uh, by the Romans and uh, kicked out of your local synagogue for not being orthodox anymore and, and so on? So we have this combination of head, heart and hands. Uh, 
Another traditional way of kind of chopping up this territory, dividing up this territory, is to talk about faith and works. And if you want to think in those terms, you can say, well, works, that's obviously what you do, that's the hands, and faith is this, this combination of your head and heart. Um, faith is really about uh, your, your allegiance, your trust in the person of Christ, in God. So uh, Peter Kreeft um, says this, uh, I did a talk recently about Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation, and I, I came across this quote by Peter Kreeft, who's a Catholic philosopher, uh, and in an essay of his on justification by faith, I thought this was a very interesting quote. He says, in uh, Christian li Liberty, Luther explains that after the great liberation about faith, that we're saved by faith, trust, allegiance in Christ's work, not by our works, comes a great liberation about works, uh, what we do. They need not be done slavishly to buy our way into heaven, to pile up merits or brownie points with God, but can be done freely and spontaneously and naturally out of gratitude to God. See how our actions are flowing out of our, our hearts and our minds. We do them not to get to heaven, but because heaven has already gotten to us. Thus they can be done for the sake of our neighbour, not for our own sake, to purchase salvation. And I just, I just love that way of, of putting it, that, you know, salvation in Christ is about, it's not that we do good works to get to heaven, but because heaven's already gotten to us, out of thankfulness, out of gratefulness, in response to... Uh, what Christ has done and the new life and purpose and meaning and so on that he's given to us in Christ. So that's about the, the art of persuasively advocating Christian spirituality. I say we should do this through the responsible use of rhetoric. Now, a philosopher, you talk to a philosopher about rhetoric, they immediately think Aristotle wrote the first textbook on rhetoric first textbook on logic and reasoning and, and persuading people and he defines rhetoric there as the power to observe the persuasiveness of which any particular matter admits so it's about observing what really is persuasive about something and helping people to grasp that it's not about advertising because <laughs> most advertising doesn't work that way most advertising doesn't say, here's what's really good about this product and why you might like to consider buying it. <laughs> you know, most advertising works by, by saying, oh, that's cool. Or, you know, buy this. You will have women flinging themselves at you if you use the right underarm deodorant. Or, you know, you know they're not really concerned with, with truth, let's face it. Um, so, uh, in a very famous passage, Aristotle talks about these three modes of persuasion, uh, which each have a, a Greek term, but don't worry about them too much. He says the first, uh, ethos. This is about the, the character of the person trying to persuade you. Are they a persuasive character? And you can obviously link that to the, the apparent goodness of uh, the person trying to persuade you. The, the second uh, mode is is pathos, which links to trying to put the the other person that you're trying to persuade into a certain frame of mind, into a certain way, in, to get them to adopt a certain attitude towards uh, the thing you're trying to interest them in. And I would say this links 
uh, very naturally to the concept of beauty. And the third, logos, which might be a, a term you know from the beginning of John's Gospel, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was the logos in, in Greek, uh, on the proof provided by the words of the speech itself. So, you know, in the beginning was the word, in the beginning was God's rational communication. Uh, this links to truth. Uh, so we have uh, spirituality of our head, hearts and hands, naturally matching up with the three traditional categories of rhetoric, of logos, pathos and ethos, how we, how we argue and use words, how we get people to, 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 to feel and take an attitude towards things, and uh, the apparent uh, goodness uh, that we show people, whether the, the car salesman uh, seems like the shifty sort of character who's probably welded two cars together and is trying to sell you something that, to make a quick buck, or does he seem like the reliable sort who's going to sell you uh, what he t says he's going to sell you? Now, theologically, Paul speaks about the same three elements of classical rhetoric. Paul was well learned, not only in Torah and so on as a, as a Jew, but also in the thinking of the classical Greco-Roman world. And he mentions the same three elements of rhetoric as Aristotle. He mentions them in the same order that Aristotle does here in Colossians 4 verses 5 to 6. Uh, talking about evangelizing, uh, he says, when you're with unbelievers, always make good use of the time. Be pleasant, have good ethos, and hold their interest when speaking the message. Be interesting, have good pathos, engage them. Uh, choose your words carefully and be ready to give answers or to re reply, to respond to anyone who asks questions. He's sounding very much like Peter in 1 Peter 3.15 there at the end. So that's, that's Logos. So ethos, pathos, Logos, mentioned by Paul in relation to evangelising, apologising to non-Christians. Back to 1 Peter 3.15 again. If these concepts all link up, you'll see the ethos, pathos, Logos obviously links up with the, the, the phrases uh, in 1 Peter 3.15. So we've got the three elements of Christian spirituality communicated through these three traditional elements of, of persuasion, of rhetoric, uh, and we're aiming to show people uh, that Christian spirituality is objectively beautiful, good and true. And by objectively, I mean the kind of thing that, that you discover rather than the kind of thing that you invent. The kind of thing that you stub your toe against out there whether or not you believe in it beforehand. Um, not a matter of preference, but a matter of fact. Um, fact that you stub your toe against. It is, of course, uh, a fact that you have a particular preference. Uh, but that's uh, getting myself down a rabbit trail, so I'm going to stop there. <laughs> so objectively, beautiful and good and true. And certainly St. Paul would have taken this approach about the, uh, the objectivity of these values. He was no uh, subjectivist, relativist, postmodernist. 
So in Philippians 4.8, for example, uh, Paul says, uh, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, he said, not whatever you happen to like thinking about or whatever you feel is, or, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So I think that's truth. And now he's talked about goodness, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, that's beauty. Something is beautiful if it is true that it is good to admire it for its qualities. Uh, so goodness, beauty, truth. He says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, you may be praising something, but it might not be worthy of the praise that you're giving it. Its worthiness doesn't depend upon you whether or not your praise is, is uh, uh, reasonable depends upon it. <laughs> so, uh, we have goodness, beauty and truth uh, talked about here by Paul saying we should uh, focus on thinking about such things. Philosophers call these the, the transcendental values. This has nothing to do with uh, uh, transcendental Zen uh, Buddhism. Um, but rather um, values, concepts that transcend, that go beyond the way we divide things up to study them in a university. So there's one world out there, one reality, and we divide that reality up into different subject areas that get studied at the university. But the concept of truth is equally important whether you're studying maths uh, or physics or geography or history or art, uh, it transcends those uh, barriers between subjects. Uh, all of these truth, beauty, goodness values do. Um, nice way of thinking about it from British philosopher John Cottingham uh, shows the kind of uh, unifying concept at work here that ties them together in a sense. He says truth and beauty and goodness, they all carry with them a sense of requirement or a demand. The true is that which is worthy of belief. It's worthy of your belief because it is true to reality. Uh, in a way that things are, that are not true to reality are not worthy of your belief. Uh, the beautiful is that which is worthy of admiration. And the good is that which is worthy of choice. Uh, so, when people come across uh, Christian spirituality, and of course they have their own spirituality, and you're asking them as a Christian to consider changing from one spirituality into another one, that's a, that's a big ask. You know, you're not just asking them to change their opinion about how they would fill out a survey or what answer they would give to a multi-choice question in a pub quiz. Um, you know, where is the world's largest ball of string? Oh, it's in such and such a state in America. Uh, I can't remember which state, but there is the world's largest ball of string in America. Um, is there a God or not? Uh, yes, no, um, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> carrying on. Uh, what do you want for dessert? Uh, I'll have the tiramisu, please. It's not, you know, something... Uh, easy or simplistic or without ramifications 
It's something that affects the whole of their way of living that we're asking people to change. Um, so it's, it's no surprise that it's sometimes quite difficult uh, if people are entrenched in the feedback loop of a non-Christian spirituality. Um, but they are going to naturally want to know, want to ask, well, is this, this Christ-centred spirituality that you're asking me to adopt instead of my own, is it, is it true? Is it more reasonable for me to think that Christ-centred spirituality is true than the spirituality that I've got? Is it beautiful? Is it good? Is it a better way of life? Better in terms of its truth and its goodness and its rationality? Why should I move from where I am to where you are rather than vice versa? Of course, people are going to be asking those questions. And then, as you say, they're not just intellectual, abstract intellectual questions. They're questions that really affect the whole of their, you know, the way they live and move uh, and uh, feel and choose and so on. So we get this holistic approach where we, we match up these, these threes, spirituality communicated by rhetoric, judged by the transcendental values. And we'll pause there before doing the final, shorter final part. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Any questions or Put comments? Put that up. So, so the, the idea about apologetics and evangelism and is about changing spiritualities, is that a very new idea? Normally we would you change your faith, believe in God instead of no God. Okay. When you're like having an apologetic conversation with somebody, mm. how do you incorporate prayer and maybe the more spiritual stuff into that in the sense of see that you use different mm. definition of spirituality and what I'm used to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just for background I've been a part of Bywan for a year mm. so Mm -hmm. So how do you incorporate both into one, especially here in North Africa, that's really key to be able to be reasonable at the same way yeah, that yeah. there is this truth behind driving force? Mm -hmm. um, okay, that's an excellent and, and large question. Uh, I think maybe some people are kind of used to the, the approach of we engage in sort of evangelism, apologetics with other people, and we pray behind the scenes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, about it. Yeah. We want to sort of cover that in, in, yeah. in prayer uh, and pray that the Lord is moving in that person's life kind of as, if it, as if God wasn't interested in doing that anyway without us yeah, asking yeah. and you know, all sorts of interesting yeah. questions here. Um, but for example, um, if, we if we thought about the, the, the ethos mm. kind of element of this, about our, our character and engaging them as a whole person, um, to, to be able to say things to that other person, such as, oh, you know, through listening and talking to them, you find out that they have a particular problem, yeah. issue. We're not just thinking at the intellectual level. They're going through a tough time in their life or whatever. That might raise for them the problem of evil, but it raises an emotional problem for them as well. It, it, it raises practical problems for them as well. Um, just to, you know, ask them, you know, uh, would you mind if I prayed for you or if I, you know, I, I go to a Bible study group and we often pray for people, would you, would you mind if we prayed for you? Yeah. 
Uh, you know, we won't if you don't want me to want us to, but we will if yeah. if that's fine. Uh, and I think even people who think, well, that's not going to do anything, because <laughs> you know, the, but they'll think, oh, that's an expression of your genuine interest and care mm -hmm. for me. From your point of view, I can see that. Um, and what have I got to lose? Mm -hmm. So why not? And maybe that opens up, you know, further doors. Yeah. God may be able to use that door. Uh, and so on, but at the very least, you've, you've sort of communicated something of personal love and care for them um, through thinking in a more sort of holistic way um, and, and bringing prayer into it more directly. Or can I pray for you here and now? And let me give you a cup of tea and a prayer and a hug, or you know whatever is appropriate uh, for that situation. Uh, but that we're not going into apologetics, as Schaefer sort of said, you know, wanting to win the argument and the discussion, or at least not only to do that. We want to give, give answers, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. <laughs> uh, so we, 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 it helps us to be more sort of whole and more authentic, yeah. not like kind of, okay, I'm, I'm just doing all this rational stuff, but behind your back we're all kind of praying for you, you know, kind of, <laughs> which I think some people could feel is a bit, bit kind of, a bit spooky or something, you know, yeah. So that's one thought. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I just experienced that might depend a little bit on where you are. Mm. I was on outreach, I did my own tune, I was on outreach in Papua New Guinea, mm. where everyone is super spiritual and everyone, yeah. of course, there's a God, and of course, there's something. Yeah. They just don't know exactly what they believe in. And right, like, they have a different set of questions. I can say, like, I, yeah, if you believe in Jesus, and then, like, Yes, hello, I believe in Jesus, but we, they need a lot of discipleship. But if they don't really care too much about the rational side, if I start talking about that, yeah, Jesus is proved, I like you can prove Jesus' existence, all this stuff. I don't know, they would mm. maybe not care that much. They're more after, in a way, spiritual. But when we were in Barn Bay, Australia, or in Norway, it's way more, I don't believe in anything. Yeah. Reason your way in. Yeah, so, so I, both is important in both places. Both yeah, places. I think the That's kind of how to put this the, the, the kind of the range of questions, the type of questions you'll get will, will vary from culture to culture. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm told if you're talking to people of a sort of Eastern mindset, more the question is more, well, who's going to be my guru, rather than why the heck would I want a guru? Yeah. <laughs> which is what a Western person was like, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, the questions are different, but I think, as, as you say, there will be, you know, truth matters uh, to people, um, ev even if it's just going to be at the level of, you know, who do I pray to so that it will work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, I, that I'm not being... Uh, set upon by the ancestral spirits or whatever, it, you know. Um, but that's a question of truth. <laughs> it's just, just a very pragmatic question of truth. Um, yeah. And, and Christianity has the ability to meet people on, on many different levels, like these, yeah. what we call spiritual confrontations, mm. where very yeah. special yeah. things happen in culture. What they experience in mm. Ethiopia, the realm of Ethiopia, where, where you have a lot of demon possession and a lot of mm. problems and, 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 and Jesus shows his power by mm. liberating, right? Yeah. But then, well, I've seen his power, but then they also need to be grounded in, is it true? Yeah, yeah right. And now you have, 
Islam coming in in Ethiopia and some pastors going into Islam. They have more money there and so on and, and, uh, yeah. and they need to know if it's true as well mm. to explain and defend. So, so maybe not from the start, mm. but at one point you need to, to have more answers. Yeah. So I think that the important thing is not whether we pray or not. Well, of course we need to pray. Actually, the prayer is the most rational thing for a Christian. It's not irrational. If there is a God, of course you talk to him. Yeah. yeah. That's what you're made yeah. for. Yeah. So yeah. keeping him out, out is what's irrational yeah. for yeah. us. So, 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 um, yeah. yeah. So it's being praying is spiritual, but so yeah. is digging and talking, drinking coffee. Yeah. In that sense, it's wider. Yeah. So, yeah. so I think yeah. I think it's this is helpful for opening up. New perspective, yeah. and really, it's the, the holistic approach, mm -hmm. yeah. and not just running yeah. into a very narrow area. Yeah. This is just arguments. Yeah. That's, right? yeah. It's yeah. people, it's reality, yeah. and truth, goodness, and beauty. It's quite interesting. You see it in in the Bible, and it was formulated by the the philosophers mm -hmm. many hundred years before Christ. Yeah. And you see both in Jesus mm -hmm. and in Paul mm -hmm. in the Bible, you see these three elements coming yeah. together. And we can call them a spirituality with a special Christian character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, we follow Christ. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, "I am the good shepherd." Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know about Norwegian translations, but in English we just get the good shepherd. Mm -hmm. But the Greeks had multiple words here, good as word. they often did. Yeah. Uh, they had uh, good agathos, which is like, "Oh, is that a good apple?" Yes, it's an agathos apple. Oh. Mm. Lovely, tasty, good for you. Uh, uh, that'll that'll do me a power of good, kind of thing. Are you a good man? Yes, he's a good man. Uh, but they also had uh, kalos, uh, which kind of means a common, kind of means the beautiful good, the attractive good. That's a good-looking apple. You know, that's the apple we want in our photograph to put in the brochure for our apple shop, right? Apple, yeah? Mm -hmm. um, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he says, I am the Kalos shepherd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so not just saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good at my job of shepherding, or, you know, I'm, I'm good, you know, I, I've got a halo, look. He's saying, I'm the attractive shepherd. I'm the shepherd you want. <laughs> <laughs> on the cover of your shepherding magazine. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah. So. Okay, let's move on. Okay. Before, um, Before we run out of time. For, uh, <laughs> yeah, good, good. Okay. So, grand part uh, three. Here we go. So, I want to drop in uh, some material that I uh, came across recently through the work of uh, the American philosopher Paul M. Gold, a Christian philosopher from the States. Uh, I highly recommend his book on cultural apologetics, and he's got a follow-up uh, book that is a transcript of a podcast that he did. You can probably find the podcast online as well, talking about similar issues. Um, you know, um, put Paul Gold into the Amazon search engine. Uh, he highlights uh, three longings of the human soul for truth and goodness and beauty, and three capacities of the human soul that relate to these values. So he talks about our reason, our conscience and our imagination relating to truth and goodness and beauty uh, and calls upon Christians in apologetics to try and uh, um, help people to grasp these things not just at an individual level but through, through culture and through transforming culture 
and fighting back at the way in which culture uh, tries to close down these concepts uh, in people today, uh, but rather to use culture to open up these concepts and kind of fulfil these thirsts that people have built into them for truth, the goodness and beauty through reason and conscience and the imagination. So he says, reason guides us on a quest for truth, the conscience leads us to goodness, the imagination transports us towards beauty. If we drop those in there in the, the greyed out column, uh, we see these capacities as part of human nature, uh, lining up with our head, heart and hands, uh, and the rhetoric uh, and the transcendental, uh, transcendental values, of course. So where gold, he, he begins his thinking from these capacities of the soul, uh, these, these spiritual longings, as it were, I begin with this three-part analysis of, of human nature uh, as spiritual subjects, uh, to whom these capacities of the soul belong, and in whom those capacities, those longings, can function as, as potential pathways to spiritual wholeness, or what the Old Testament calls shalom, peace with God, uh, wholeness and flourishing and so on. Uh, or if we misuse these longings uh, and plug the wrong things into them, uh, they can lead to <coughs> spiritual disintegration. You remember I talked earlier about spirituality aims to be a virtuous and integrative way of life. But I would say spiritualities don't always succeed <coughs> at being either virtuous or integrative. So Gold says that as we embody uh, habits that are motivated by a misplaced desire, uh, our character deforms rather than forming in a more wholesome way. So to diagram it, you, you could talk about if we have a false spirituality, the more we consistently try and engage with that, a false spirituality, the more it will lead to a, a, a vicious disintegration, a pulling apart of us from the inside. The more someone tries to live consistently, I would say, with a non-Christian spirituality, the more harm they're going to do themselves because they're trying to live a way of life that at some level is not true or good or beautiful, even though they're built for and they desire truth and goodness and beauty. Um, but you can't get blood out of a stone and you can't get wholeness out of an idol. Whereas if we have a true spirituality, the more committed we are to it, the more virtue and integrative wholeness that should bring to us in the long term I have to apply to both of those so the internal internalization of a false spirituality leading to disintegration the internalization of a true spirituality leading to integration as uh, Caldone Suisse writes worship uh, within Christianity, worship brings wholeness and integrity to the personality of the worshipper. For worship brings together everything in my life under one united whole, under God. It provides unity to all the diversity of my life. Or uh, Abbot Christopher Jameson in his uh, very nice little book called Finding Sanctuary about uh, sort of monastic life. 
uh, and monastic habits for life. Uh, he talks about worship in the, in the whole life discipleship sense as being a matter of the conscientious exercise of choice leading to obedient freedom in Christ. Uh, and so if we link all of those threes together, uh, we get this uh, super maxi chart of threes. So exciting. Uh, <laughs> of our uh, head, heart, hands, assumptions, attitudes, actions, spirituality, as people who have these uh, spiritual longings uh, of capacities of, of reason and imagination and conscience. Um, these things are uh, communicated uh, through and to other people through uh, the, the classical rhetorical elements of logos and pathos and ethos. And we want to judge these things and these, these longings are fulfilled by the traditional transcendental objective values of truth and beauty and goodness. Uh, and all of this grows out of, grows from and, and leads to the traditional uh, Christian theological virtues of faith, hope uh, and love. Um, so all of these sort of traditional threes, uh, they all link together. They're all um, talked about by the philosophers. They're all talked about within the Bible uh, as well. Um, and this gives us a sort of uh, holistic, sort of general background concept that I think uh, I have anyway found very helpful in engaging with all sorts of, of things, including apologetic evangelism discussions with non-believers, um, but also um, applying this to um, thinking about media and the messages and, and the feelings and things that media communicates to us. Uh, how do you think, you know, what the latest film you've seen, you know, what does, uh, what does Joker have to say about what's true or good or beautiful or false or you know bad and ugly about contemporary Western society for example it has a lot to say and it says it very powerfully it has a lot of pathos it uses that pathos to drive home some uncomfortable truths um, you know is that uh, and so on so you start analyzing things in these terms and you can relate them very easily to other people's spirituality, finding out about, well, how do they fill out their head, heart, and hands? And, and you know, how do they, they think about what's true and good and beautiful and so on? And relating that back to the biblical worldview and the biblical picture of life in Christ um, that you see through the letters of Paul, through the lives of the disciples and so on. Uh, so that's uh, the, the, the end. That's the framework of the 3D-ness. Uh, and I'll leave that with you and hopefully sort of spark off some new directions of, of thinking and how you can sort of a bit more practically apply this. Just a few last slides on a bit, more, bit of how do we sort of practically apply this. So if we're using that language of systematically orientating our spiritual capacities towards the transcendental values here, well, in Christian terms, this links back from and to Christ. We're, we're thinking about the, the truth of God displayed in Christ, the beauty of God displayed in Christ, the goodness of God displayed in Christ at the centre of our head, hearts and hands. 
fulfilling our longings through our spiritual capacities, being judged by what is true and beautiful and good, and thinking that those are truly revealed in Christ. Um, we're doing that, that engaging in this Christ-centered spirituality, putting on Christ so that we grow in Christ-like faith and hope and love, that we become Christ-like in our own unique ways. Um, that means we can do this through engaging in these practices of, well, all sorts. I mentioned just a few, you know, Christian community, study, worship, praise, creativity, hospitality, giving, etc., um, etc. Et uh, you know, I've got a Norwegian cake there for you. Yeah, right. uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, that, this is the inside of Trondheim Cathedral, <laughs> which I didn't get to see the inside of the cathedral when I was there the other year uh, doing uh, uh, mission stuff up the university, but uh, I did visit the outside, and very impressive it was too. Um, so we can start asking ourselves, uh, thinking about, you know, how do we engage this into sort of youth work and, and so on. We can start asking really practical, pragmatic, specific questions that, that link to this. Like, well, okay, um, how will I spend my money so that it reflects the truth and goodness and beauty of Christ? How will I spend my time? How will I make my decisions about where to go to university, what to study, who to date, etc., etc.? you know, how much time to spend online, how much time to spend doing whatever, uh, and relating these, you know, to the, to the threes. And, and again, not in a, uh, this is not to become a project in let's all become Pharisees by drawing up a timetable and a, and a, and a to-do list in our lives where we start measuring, you know, how many brownie points we're acquiring with God to get us into heaven because we're doing all the right things and spending the right amount of time volunteering at the local homeless shelter. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but that we do these things, as Kreeft was saying, or organically and naturally and joyfully and thinking, actually, in view of what I have in Christ, I want to become more Christ-like. <laughs> I want to engage in this uh, and, and doing this kind of practical thinking about things occasionally, taking stock and like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do the other, uh, might actually help me become more Christ-like. And that is a spiritual thing to do, to engage in these kind of practices and this kind of self-reflection, and but not self-condemnation. It's all out of, you know, out of, uh, you know, out of joy, out of thankfulness in Christ. Um, so I'll leave you with that overall uh, chart there and stop there and see again if you have any questions before we go for lunch. Commentar or question? Yeah. In Colossians 4, when we saw that passage in Paul, did he actually, is it verse, logos and papers? Greek words that Paul actually wrote? Yes, yeah. So if you look in the in the Greek New Testament, those are the um, um, they won't I probably haven't put them in the right tense and things mm -hmm. now. I've just related to them to the um, but his uh, I'm pretty sure um, because he's talking about those concepts. Um, we'll have to double check so I can answer that 
that, that question wholesomely to anyone else who further asks that me again. Um, but he's, he's definitely talking about those concepts uh, and in the same order that Aristotle talks about them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can't kind of say, oh, he's read Aristotle. But, but we know that he was trained in the Greek thinking, the way in which he engages with the, the Greek philosophers and so on in Athens at the Acropolis, quotes Greek poets and, and, and so on. Um, he, he knew their culture and we know that that, that sort of Greco-Roman culture was a heavy influence even in the, the Jewish world at the time because they were under the heel of the Roman Empire and basically the Roman Empire nicked most of their culture from the Greeks. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think this is important not just for apologetics and, and uh, evangelism, this holistic, I think even for understanding your own faith. Yeah. Very often we limit faith from, ah, I, I love you, it's the, the attitude, commitment to Jesus, yeah. we call for that yeah. in meetings, right? Mm. But it needs to be based on understanding. Yeah. Who is this God? Can I trust him? Yeah. So when we, when, we, when we kind of force or manipulate people to mm. make commitments without kind of a, like, you really trust it. Yeah. They're really not yeah. helping people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then actions, what we do, what we actually do, matters to, it shapes both our attitudes and our, um, our, our, our faith, yeah. right? So, so acting and, uh, and the feeling you know, and, and, and believing, they belong together. Yeah. So when mm -hmm. we have bad practices among us, the way we talk to one another, or our interests, right, that can ruin ruin us, damage our attitudes, and then also our faith or create uh, a tension within us. Mm. Uh, yeah. I find it interesting that you go from attitudes to uh, from action attitudes to assumption. Mm -hmm. When on the other side, I would argue that you would receive love from God, which would give you hope, and that would create faith. Yeah, yeah. It is probably another concept with the love that you give up love. It's your action of loving others and that comes from faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, God, God is everything, yeah. offering us in kind of yeah. one package, and we yeah. can mm -hmm. see these are different. That's reality. Yeah. So, so which is yeah. the starting point for which is is. Um, mm -hmm maybe uh, what we call a mute point we can discuss. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in Colossians, he says, your faith which comes from your hope. Oh, yeah. Beginning of Colossians. Strange. You've got the hope, and then you trust it, and then you examine it, yeah. and you yeah. become trusted to, to trust yeah. even more. Yeah. And then it's, it, it, it shapes your action, hopefully. Yeah. Right? If it doesn't, your, your, your spirituality, you, you as a human being, you're yeah. broken. And I think... For, for reflection on the radical, uh, the radicalness of this is, is thinking about the effect of pornography in our culture. You know, that's mm. a very big thing. And, yeah. and for, for this, with, with the internet, with everything in our hands, it, mm. it's, it's really very close and a big, big challenge globally and, and, and mm. for Christians mm. as well. And, and how this shapes actions, mm. shapes our attitudes to women, to sexuality, mm. and then it starts to shape our, our, our assumptions as well about who am I, what's important, mm. Mm. And, and, uh, and what we like and what we admire, right? So, so yeah. it, 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 these can go very different ways, and, and the way 
our enemy is working is very often through, well, it doesn't say this is true, yeah. but yeah. just try this. Yeah. And yeah. shapes us and ruins us and mm. breaks us. So I think it's kind of a helpful yeah. way of thinking of a, yeah. another spirituality yeah. coming in mm. through mm. actually practice mm. and shaping attitudes yeah. and, and assumptions. And if, if you think about, you know, Gold talking about we have these, these innate desires uh, within us for, for, you know, the, tr the true and the good and the beautiful, because God's made us for wholeness uh, that ultimately only comes for him, that we have this desire for, for shalom, for wholeness, and that the more we engage with a, a false spirituality, the more we're pulled apart yeah. from the inside out. Yeah. What, what you see is that when God is saying, you know, don't do that, that's sinful, yeah. don't do this, it's not that he's just, oh, here's the, the list of rules yeah. that because I'm a spoil sport and I don't want anyone to have any fun, <laughs> I want you to all follow these rules. Yeah. Um, you know, when society is saying, oh, no, come on, yeah, let's just be naughty, it's, it's wicked, it's uh, whatever. Um, <laughs> actually, th those, those you know, rules you can see, they're there for your good in the long term, yeah. for your protection, yeah. for your ultimate wholeness. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and so it becomes ultimately a, a question of, you know, do I really want the wholeness that comes from yeah. really knowing the true and the good and the beautiful in the, the God from whom all that ultimately comes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. it, it, it now, now puts that struggle in better perspective, I think. Thank you very much. Now we're going to need lunch.